0: Desire to worship and to create a, a space for God's Holy Spirit to be among us. I do want to share just a couple brief additional announcements? If you're a visitor with us, I think there's a visitor card in the seat in front of you. We ask you to take that and uh, fill that out. And you can take it to the visitor table in the foyer. And uh, if you have any questions, somebody will answer those questions for you there. And we are grateful that you're here today. Amen. Amen. We're grateful that each of our church family is here. Today, And I'm going to make one additional announcement that we don't have a uh, screen for, but we'll give you more information next week, but just to the men of the assembly on the Saturday that is prior to um, Father's Day, that Saturday of Father's Day weekend. So Saturday, Sunday's Father's Day. That Saturday, we're going to have a men's fellowship breakfast here that morning. And Barrett, we'll get more information out to you next week so we know what time And it's our way of kind of concluding the Bible study that we did several weeks ago because we had two lessons that were undone, and we wanted to make sure we went back and kind of at least finished, gave some measure of effort to finish those and kind of bring a finality to it and bring the men back together again because we really enjoyed that time together. I was really, really strengthened. Ladies, I was extremely impressed by that handsome man that's at your side today um there was uh, things that they shared and uh, their their depth of their relationship with God and their their growth were just uh and it really made me uh, appreciative of the men of our fellowship so guys if you can join us on that saturday we'll make sure we feed you good we'll have good fellowship brief time of teaching but just strengthen our men's ministry so we'll make sure we give you the exact time on that on next sunday if you're here last week, you know, in the, um, across the Christian community, not everybody celebrates it, but we certainly chose to, and that it was Pentecost Sunday. Jason's mentioned already that it was kind of still on his heart and mind, and, uh, it, and it ought to be because we are a Pentecostal fellowship. And I shared with you um, that I had spent the previous week, now this is a week ago, Sunday, that, per, that week prior to, going through notes that I have preached over the years. Um, just, kind of, just kind of looking and searching and seeing my own personal growth and understanding as I have you know, grown in my relationship with God and understanding of the Word of God. And I had extracted out of my sermon files 120 sermons that I had either preached or taught, um, about 110 of those were mine personally, about 10 of those were others that I had kept along the way. And just to stir my heart, and then I brought that subject matter to our membership class. I did it again today. And I'm bringing that subject a little bit deeper today. Now, last week, as we went into um, on Pentecost Sunday, I showed you a little bit broader picture than what is often on the surface level of Acts chapter number 2. And uh, I'm not going to go back and re-preach that for you. I believe it was the right word. I felt like I, the Spirit of the Lord had anointed that moment of time. But I am going to go into the context of spirit baptism today because it is a... a uh, one of the cardinal truths of the assemblies of God, but it has to be more than something that is on the statement of fundamental truths of the assemblies of God that you download off of your computer. It has to become a part of your spirit. It has to be written on the fleshly tablet of your heart. Now, I do not believe that you should not be called Pentecostal if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You should be. By your presence here, you're saying, I believe in... It doesn't mean that everybody's experience is exactly the same as of yet. It mean will ever be exactly the same. But what you are saying is, is that you believe in the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in the apostolic church. That I didn't get to answer this question. It wasn't a question. It was a brief statement. But where do, we, where do those that are called cessationists arrive at the place where they don't believe the continuing gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, often they point to the passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, whether there be tongues they shall cease, whether there be prophecies, they shall cease. And they look to that and say that with the that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. And they say that, that was that tongues and spiritual gifts uh, were in partial knowledge, but with coming of the canon of Scripture, we had complete knowledge. Um, and so, therefore, spiritual gifts, as we see them in the book of Acts and in the early church, are not necessary with the uh, coming of the canon of Scripture. That's, the majority kind of point to that. Not all. There's always variations. But but the reality is, is that the, that subject matter there, uh, of 1 Corinthians 13, is obviously pointing to love, perfected love in eternity. And um, there's a lot of things that are still in part right now. Right? And so... It is your belief. Why am I saying all that? I'm saying that your belief is that God still moves by the power of His Holy Spirit in the life of believers. He moves in you and He moves through you. Sometimes He speaks to you. Sometimes He speaks through you. Sometimes somebody ministers to you a word, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you become the agent or the vehicle that God has chosen to minister the word or His presence to someone else. Now, a church that doesn't create room for the work of the Holy Spirit is a church that will not have the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, with, the, with the changing of the culture in America, with, even within the church, it's becoming even more important that we redefine and we refocus and we revalue some things. And that's from every one of us, from those of you that walked into a Spirit-filled church just a few weeks or months ago, and all this is new to you. Or the, those of you that have been here for long, longer than I have been, it's important that we continue to let the Spirit of God work in our heart and we value. You know, I do remember the scripture says, stir up. I'll probably allude to that at the end, but stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Paul said in another place, neglect not the gift of God. It's easy to do if you're not careful. If you don't take a conscious effort, if you don't uh, spend time in prayer and where you are studying the Word and praying and meditating, just life itself will divert you away from the moving of the Spirit of God in our heart and life. But the one thing I want to just share with you today, we haven't even got to our text, but I believe in natural abilities. I have stood and marveled at people's giftings that God has placed within them just through their natural birth and their and just their own personality and who they are. But we're not talking about natural giftings. We're talking about supernatural power of the Holy Spirit of God. We're talking about when the Spirit of God comes upon a believer, it could, uh, it, the Spirit of God can move you to do, say, be things that you would not normally or uh, in your natural uh, uh, abilities have that ability to do. But the unction, the anointing, the power, there's all different phrases and phraseology that we use. And we're trying to say, in essence, the same thing. But we're going we're gonna to narrow today. So there's a broad swath of things that are related to the Holy Spirit in the Word of God and uh, in our personal doctrine. But we're going to narrow today into the context of spirit baptism today. So we're going to go to one passage of Scripture. I've taken one of the sermons out of that 120 and I'm, I'm there with it, but I may not stay there with it. I'm, I may deviate quite a ways from it. It would be a sermon that has been preached in this church previously, but, um, and, and it's, uh, the doctrine is still valued. But I just want to go where the Spirit wants us to go today. Amen? Would you all stand up with me for the reading of the Word of God this morning in Acts chapter number 1, not Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, verses 1 through 4, we're understanding that's the day of Pentecost in its fulfillment and the fulfillment of the prophecy of joel initiating the work of the spirit in the what's known in the greek the ecclesia the called out ones you and i know it as the church but here's a promise we're only read two verses of scripture this is following jesus a resurrection just prior to his ascension into heaven i'm only going to read two verses even though i could have taken you farther In verse number 4, it says, and being assembled together with them. I'm trusting that he's with us today. Come on, amen. He commanded them. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which, saith he, you have heard of me. All of you have heard of this, this promise of the Father. He used that term in John's gospel of 14 and 15, 16th chapter, the promise of the Father. And then verse 5, from which we extract, extract the terminology that we use so many, so, so freely in Pentecostalism. For John truly baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So let's just kind of. Put that here in our spirit one time. For John had a ministry that involved people, baptizo in the Greek, which means submergence underwater, being baptized with water. But you shall be submerged with the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from the time that Jesus spoke this to that group of disciples that met him on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem just prior to his ascension. The fulfillment of that took place 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. The writer Luke says when that day was fully come, 10 days later. But it's those words that we have extracted doctrine as Pentecostals, the baptism of the Spirit of God, baptism of spirit. That's what I want to talk to you about today. We're going to ask the Lord to help us because we need his help, don't we, church family? We need his help. Without his help, we can do nothing. Amen. Father, I love you today and I'm humbled by this opportunity that I have to be able to speak. And Father, I know that I can speak at uh, different levels today. I can speak of my own personal experience. I can uh, speak, Father God, from uh, study, from much study of reading and meditating, and pondering. And I, I can speak from having entered into others' labors from their experiences and the knowledge that you've given them concerning this subject, Father. But I also believe that I can be a yielded vessel to a fresh word from God come on somebody to that which is uh, is relevant for us today that father we can we can we can reach into our storehouse the scripture says and we can bring out things old and new so father I'm going to trust that the, 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 the many hours of meditating and pondering and contemplating this subject over the last several uh, days and even the latter couple of weeks, that even despite that, Father, that the Spirit, the Spirit can bubble forth what He chooses to say to the listening ear today, God, in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, amen and Amen. Well, on the surface level, you might ask yourself and say, Pastor Brown, why would you feel like you have to come to a spirit-filled assembly, and um, and share doctrines that ought to be familiar to either all or the majority of the people here? Well, there's multiple reasons for that. Number one, the Scripture says, "Stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance." Uh, there are times in your life when you need to go back and revalue and look. Uh, and, and allow the Spirit of God to illuminate things maybe that you haven't seen previously or previously you have seen them. But now God brings them to a greater clarity in your own heart and life. Secondly, there are always folks among us who are new to our fellowship. Right? And these are new things to them. Things that are familiar to many of you. Things that are even old to many of you are brand new to some people under the sound of my voice. When we use terms that you and I are so familiar with that they just really don't have any clue what we're talking about until they stay around us long enough to understand their application. The word anointing. The word, you don't say anointing very often in the world apart from the church setting, right? I don't think you use that in your everyday if you work at the factory where you're talking about being anointed. Uh, but, but when you're in the kingdom, then you get, you get acclimated to that word. But when somebody walks into the door for the first time, They really don't really know what you're talking about. But the key is for us here today is we've got to go back to this familiar subject to many of us, and then we've got to revalue it so that God can can bring it to to a freshness among us again. Because I'm telling you, whether you have been Spirit-baptized previously or whether you have not yet been Spirit-baptized, I'm telling you, I believe in my heart that this is the will of God for all of God's people. I believe that God wants to do something in your heart and life that will, that will change you and alter who you are. Now, that doesn't take away from the good things that God's already done in your heart and life. One of the key things that I'm asked when i have in a class like I've been in the last two weeks is concerning whether or not do we as Pentecostals believe that if a person is saved, have they received the Holy Spirit? So without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk more about what that baptism is, it, does a person, once they are ma- or make a profession of faith in Christ, have they received of the Spirit? And why would even create that confusion to, to even ask that question? Well, it's often because the, the language of the New Testament in the book of Acts. The language of the New Testament in the book of Acts often is, receive the Spirit. Did you receive? Paul even asked a group of disciples in Acts chapter number 19, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit since or because you have believed in Christ since you believed, King James English. And from, with language like that, it's often because they responded. Let me go ahead and back up. Because of their response, we have not even heard that there be anything related to the Holy Spirit. And Paul inquires of what doctrinal belief is in their mind and in their own personal experiences, and he learns that they've been baptized in water, are looking forward to the coming of Messiah, But It seems to be that there is a belief in a profession of faith in Christ. But the Spirit of God has not come upon them. So the Apostle Paul then baptizes them in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the Bible says that he prays for them, lays hands on them, and the Spirit of God comes upon them. And they all speak with other tongues and they prophesy. So if you ask us what we and how we would define that in our doctrinal belief, It's our belief that if they truly had a profession of faith in Christ prior to meeting the Apostle Paul, then they would have been born of the Spirit but not baptized with the Spirit. Born of the Spirit is when you believe that Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And you're exposed to the need in your heart to repent. And you know that you needed a sacrifice to, uh, to, to bring a man, if you will, to God in communion and fellowship with Him. And of ourselves, there was nothing that we could offer. And we discover that Jesus' shed blood is the atoning sacrifice for sin. And we put our faith in Him and we trust in Him and we make a profession of faith in Christ. Here's what the writer Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you are saved. Right? We share that with Sister Chelsea might wrap up her, her children's church lesson this day. She might ask seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds, do you want to be saved? And the little child, little Johnny, might raise his hand up and say, I want to be saved. And Chelsea will say to him and say, "Uh, if you believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, he says. And then he says, "Uh, and I confess with my mouth and I repent of my sin, Then it's our belief upon the profession of faith of that seven-year-old. For me, I was eight years old, that when I profess faith in Christ, that the Spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit that hovered over the waters in the Genesis, like I mentioned last week in Genesis chapter number one, that Spirit joined with my Spirit spirit and calls me to be born again made in the likeness and the image of God a man is spirit soul and body we have father son and holy spirit and it is our belief that in that upon that profession of faith that the spirit of God joins to your spirit and declares you to be a child of God we believe this is the 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 the, the I don't want to say the it's a commonly held belief but it may not be universally held But the passage of Scripture that stands out to me a little bit along this subject is in John's Gospel, actually. It's in the 20th, I believe, chapter of the Gospel of John, and it is following Jesus' resurrection. There's a, a passage there when he first meets his disciples in Galilee. And when he appears to them, he does something that I think must be noted before we can move into baptism in spirit. It's just always been my belief that for many, many stumble over being born of the spirit and being baptized in the spirit and seeing those as two distinct experiences and trying to validate that in scripture. But in that moment when Jesus appears to them, he does something very unique. The Bible says that he doesn't sprinkle them with water. He doesn't lay hands on them but here's what he does he breathes on them he breathes on them and says receive ye the Holy Spirit he breathes now why is that important because well let's go back to the Genesis when God created man in his likeness and God breathes upon him and he becomes a living soul so it is our belief the word spirit which means pneuma or air or breath then is the life of God That enters into us, giving us eternal life and allowing us to commune with God in the spirit. Let me see if I can help you a little bit farther and go a little bit different. So the word soul there, I can't pronounce it in the Greek, is psyche, from which we get psychology and psychological matters. When we define the soul, we often define it as mind, will, and emotion. And here's the reality. Before a believer is born again, before a person is born again, you can know God in your soul. You can know about God. You can have mental thoughts related to God and your mind and your will and your emotions. You can even be moved by His creation. You can see His handiwork. You can see Him in creation. You can see Him in the lives of other people. But that's not fellowship with God. That's not communion with God. That's not relationship with God. You can even follow Him from afar in your soul. But Jesus prophesied of a day and time when He said that the hour is now come when the true worshipers, the true worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth and so when Jesus's atoning blood was given on the cross it was then that God could bring into this dispensation what he had only breathed in one man previously and that was Adam and so God through Christ breathed in or upon those disciples and it is our belief that the spirit entered into them and caused them to be born again born from above, born by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they would have had an initial inner witness of his spirit. The scripture says again in Romans 8, his spirit, listen to this, bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. So not that I'm going to go into my testimony, I'm going to go into any of that today. I believe testimonials are powerful, but I want to give you a basis of belief based upon the Word of God. But when I was eight years old, and I was at the Children's church service at Landmark Baptist Church. And when the teacher gave an invitation for us to get saved, I can still remember it like it was yesterday when I prayed the prayer, a sinner's prayer of repentance, and I asked the Lord to come into my heart. That's what we typically say. Whether that's biblically right or not, I cannot say. But we believe it. We, we believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. It is my belief and it is my understanding and based upon my my my, my experience that at that moment, the the breath of God entered into my spirit. I was eight years old on the outside, about this tall, getting into stuff I shouldn't be getting into, all those kind of things. But at that moment of time, the Spirit of God joined with my spirit and gave me eternal life, and I knew the Father from that day forward. I knew about God up until that time, but I knew Him as my Father from that moment forward. I could commune with Him And have fellowship with Him. Upon the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says concerning the person of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The life of God entered into his soul, which again for us brings the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God to his soul, creating and giving him life. But the second Adam, which is Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes and says, was made a life-giving spirit. So in that moment upon your profession of faith, the life-giving Spirit, Jesus Christ, breathes upon you, and the Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 8, when he says, if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, if you don't have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart, communing with you, identifying you as a child of God, then you are not born again. You are lost. You are eternally lost. You are not in the family of God. But again, by faith, when you trust in the Lord, the life-giving Spirit will breathe into you His Spirit, and you will know the Father. Come on, somebody. Amen. And you will have fellowship with the Father. And you can learn to hear the inner witness of the Holy Spirit who now dwells on the inside of you. And it is my belief that it was to a group of men and women who had experienced the new birth that he said in Acts chapter number 1, tarry at Jerusalem. He's not speaking that to men and women that are unregenerate. He's speaking that to men and women who have received the life of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. The Holy Spirit now dwells on the inside of them, But he's promising them something. He's promising them that as John baptized with water, you can be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. If I'd have gone a little bit farther into the text, it says this. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons when the Father has put in his own power. I believe that's Acts 1 and 6 or 7. He said, but you, verse 8, I know for sure. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Right? And so, it's the reason why am I taking the time because the term Spirit Baptism, some people view it one way, other people view it differently, and in our generation, all you are is all you are is one Google search away from all different types. And all different kinds of theology at your fingertips. And let me tell you, they do not all agree. And I'll tell you this, about this subject, spirit baptism, if you search it out far enough, you'll find what you're looking for. Can I bring clarity to that? If you're just a little bit hesitant and you're not for sure that the experience that the Pentecostals validate as spirit baptism is for the church today if that's in your heart and mind if you look long enough you're going to find doctrine to to validate that thought but if you believe like we do that it is the experience that our experience is either the exact same or similar as what we read about in the book of acts and also in the new testament and you look close enough you're going to find that doctrine too so here's the here's the kind of cutting to the chase i've said it before i'm gonna say it again You've got, to make up the, you've got to make up your own mind in this matter. Your desire has to be born of your own desire and not of my desire. It's my desire. It's my hope. I still pray it for all of my children. Some are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some are not. But I still pray it for them. God, fill them unto overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me say this. My desire for them and my desire for you is not enough. It's got to be your desire. You've got to long for it. You've got to have faith to believe and to see that it is for you. And there's got to be something that's stirred on the inside of you that says, I can't just be satisfied with warming myself uh, uh, up against somebody else's spiritual fire. That there's got to be something inside of me where the divine unction of the Holy Spirit moves in my life at a way and in a means in a, that I have never known previously. Right? Right? And so with that, again, as I shared with our class this morning, I believe in teaching. I believe in doctrine is very important. It's good to have good teaching because we've seen what the damage can be done when there's poor teaching. Did you know some people live to teach you unbelief? There are some people get up every day and they hope that they can either contend with this doctrine that we believe in or plant thoughts in your mind, and they believe they're honoring God by doing so. And if you've been in that environment for too long, that stuff's going to be in your mind, and you've got to try to get rid of all that in Jesus' name. I told the class, you've got to unlearn what you have learned at times. Come on, somebody. Right? And so, But if there is something inside of you that just says, I need a divine unction that's greater than what I have right now. I need an endowment. I need the power and the presence of the Spirit of God. If you search the Scriptures in the New Testament, you're going to arrive at a place where you see that there were divine endowments of the Spirit. Any honest Bible student will say, yes, there were moments where the Spirit of God was manifest, the power of God. And let me tell you, the power of the Spirit of God being manifest wasn't new to the New Testament church. Let me say that one more time. I don't only got one good amen. I said this in the in the old covenant. If you go back and you read, you will find many instances where the Spirit of God fell upon the people of God and empowered them to do or to say or to be things that they could not ordinarily have done. It was the supernatural power of God. I want to call one out real quickly. We think about David. King David is a hero to the Jewish people. He's a hero to us. We see the things that he wrote. He wrote in Psalm 37, By my God, I'll run through a troop, and by my God, I'll leap up over a wall. There was a confidence in him. We see David. i got to be careful with my spin move when I'm out in front like this. We see David leaping and dancing and worshiping unashamedly to the degree. That he didn't care. That even if he exposed himself a little bit, it mattered not. He was going to worship God, and we know David was a warrior, and he had the uh, he had the the, the the grace of God upon him. And we know he came to fame when he fought the Goliath named or the giant named Goliath in the Valley of Elah. Correct. Right, And we know that. We, we understand this, that God took a shepherd boy with nothing but a sling in his hand when the armies of the Philistines are on one side of the valley and the armies of the Israelites are on the other side of the valley. And David goes down there alone with nothing but a sling and a brash faith in God and God uses him to kill the giant. Are y'all out there today? Right? And we know about this, but often overlooked. That's in the 17th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when the prophet Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, his father, David's father, to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel, when David is chosen, when the Spirit of God confirms to Samuel, that's the one, Samuel takes the horn of oil and he pours it over the head of David. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, And the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. So let me tell you, the reason why David had a brash boldness to fight the giant, the reason why he was so skillful and he could launch the, 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 the first ballistic missile out of uh, just a sling and kill the giant is because he had a supernatural anointing of the power of the spirit of the living God. That same spirit that hovered over the waters in the Genesis had now hovered over David and transformed him into something he was not ordinarily going to become. Right. That's the. That's not the beginning. That's just one example. I told you last week in my sermon, the fulfillment of what took place on the day of Pentecost was not necessarily exactly what. the The marvel of what took place on the day of Pentecost wasn't as much the phenomenon of prophetic utterances. I know tongues do stand out, obviously, and that we should marvel at what took place. But really, the great Power and blessing of what took place on the day of Pentecost wasn't as much what as who. As I, let me, I feel like I need to go back and confirm that. Because when Peter quotes from Joel on that day, he said this. Remember they had come to him, those men and women. I hope, did y'all go back and read that this week, anybody? I'm taking a test notes right there. Right there. Some of you are getting your name on the board right now. No homework turned in. You should have went back and read that in Acts chapter number 2 that when the crowds began to gather because of the men and women that were filled with the Holy Spirit and were speaking in tongues, which in that text, and that context, was known dialects to the people, um, when they heard them, they, 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 they said, we do hear them in our own languages speak the wonderful works of God. But they asked the question, they said, what meaneth this? What is this? That's a fair question. We've all had that, ex- that experience. The first time you ever walked into a Pentecostal church and somebody beside you said, shatakaia Mosia, you said, what meaneth this? <laughs> Are you all out there today? Come on now. It's real quiet. It's too quiet in here for a Pentecostal church. We've all asked that question. I came out of the Baptist church. I asked that question, what meaneth this? You know, I was intrigued by it, but I was intimidated by it, right? I was a little bit fearful by it, but something was compelling me. I, I saw it in the Word of God, but I didn't see it in the people that I worshipped amongst on a normal basis, the people that I'd grown up with, the people that I, I sat at church as a Sunday school classes as a, or in the youth group or hearing the sermons on Sunday. I, I, I saw it in the Word, and, and, I, and, I, and I read about it, but I wasn't seeing it practiced, and I wasn't, I wasn't experiencing it in my own life, so I was intrigued by it. And When I was around it for the first time, I was a, a, it was a little bit awkward. I was asking the same question that was asked 2 thousand years ago what meaneth this but the apostle Peter when he first began to preach and I ended the sermon last week with the latter portion of his sermon but he commences by bringing validation to the experience saying this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel." So he reaches back into his own particular study of the scroll of the, of, the, of the prophet Joel, and he begins to quote a day that Joel prophesied. In the last days, saith God, what days are we in right now? The last days. How long have we have been in them? Since for 2,000 years. We've been in the last days. Saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. There's the key. It's not as much the what? The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, they were familiar with prophetic utterances. Notice in the in the passage there, he doesn't mention tongues. So tongues would be perceived as prophetic utterances in that context. He said, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Upon my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out of my spirit, and uh, they shall prophesy. So the key wasn't just prophecy and unction and the phenomenon of spiritual gifts, because the Hebrew people had seen them in the Word of God and in their own experiences. But the cool thing about it was that God said, I'll do it upon all flesh. Up until that time, it was primarily the Davids of the world, or the Aaronic priesthood, or the Elijahs, or the Moseses of the world. Those that had a particular office of a king, a priest, or a prophet, or a prophetess. But God said, there's going to come a day and an hour that I'm going to pour out in my spirit upon all flesh. And it doesn't matter whether you've got a degree that says that you were studying in an uh, academic setting, that you learned to be a clerical minister of the gospel. No, you can just simply be you and not ever take a moment and stand behind a pulpit but God still desires to fill you under overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be who he's called you to be you will never be who others are called to be you can only be who you are called to be and I know this I wouldn't want to be me without the power of the Spirit of God I want to encourage you And I want to encourage you. And so one of the things that I believe in my heart of hearts, key to that text, is not just the what, but it's the who. All flesh. All flesh. Peter then would later speak to the people in Acts 2 and 39, as I mentioned last week, for the promise. The promise is unto you, your children, and as many who are far off, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. But it has to be something that you desire. Are y'all out there today? So I find myself in an awkward moment in this generation of Pentecostalism that we have today. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to try to be transparent here today. I I moved away from the notes very quickly, didn't I? Moved away from those notes, and I'm preaching out of my heart. It's an awkward place today because we don't make as much room for it as the Pentecostal church once did. Right? Right? And without not making the room for it that we once did, then it puts pressure on how, back in the early days of Pentecostalism, all services ended at the altar. I mean, it was commonplace. Everybody was either shatakai. Can I explain shatakai mosin real quickly? Because I know that people, I got a question about that. So when I first came into the Spirit-filled movement, and I went through the Prevailing Word Christian Center right here, coming out of the Baptist church, 17 years of age, hungry for the things of God, received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There was a little lady there that attended worship service with us. And whenever the Spirit of God would come over her, she was a Shatakaya Mosiah. And I asked a mentor of mine, Brother Ray Cawthon, who was a later member of this church. I said, Brother Ray, what is that? He said, it's probably just a certain dialect that means like praise the Lord. So whenever the Spirit of God comes over her, it's Shatakaya Mosia. Well, that stuck with me for whatever reason from that day until now. And I commonly refer to speaking in other tongues on a personal edification Distinct from the gift of tongues, but personal edification, because she wasn't given a message in tongues. She was just—it was in the middle of worship. The Spirit of God had come upon her, and she was shatakai mosia. So that's my reference point, real quickly. I am not in any way making fun of it or anything. It's my way of lessening the, the taking the rhetoric away from a doctrinal tongue interpretation of tongue. Is it a message in tongue? Is it glossolalia? Well, I, just saying, it was shatakai mosia. That's all I can tell you. A little lady, she had her hair in her bun, and she just shatakai mosia. <laughs> <laughs> are y'all out there today so we got pressure today though because where do you put it where do you put it? it's important it's important to us but it seems to be not as important to this next and newer generation of pentecostals who've uh, gotten accustomed to kind of warming ourselves to the fire of others Then we have to balance that. I don't want to be critical of people who haven't received the baptism because part of the message is intended to encourage faith inside of you. And I always try to temper teaching with saying, in no way should we think because we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we're way up here, and the others, the little puny, little, little you that haven't are way down here, and we're just trying to hope that maybe you can scale the mountain to our heights where we are spiritually. I don't want any of that either. I want to be in a place of humility and brokenness that the Spirit of God came over my life and it radically transformed me and took me from the person that I was and transformed me. It changed the way I think. It changed the way I read the Scriptures. It changed the way I preach. I want you to know back in those early days of preaching, I was coming through the Baptist church. I didn't have an unction that I have today. But on that fateful day, on the summer of 1986, when I knelt in my mom and dad's home and I was watching a pre-recorded video of Morris Sorello preaching the gospel, and he stopped in the middle of his sermon, and he pointed in the screen, and he said, right now there are young ministers that need the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they're alone in my mom and dad's house, I knelt down, raised my hands toward heaven, and the Spirit of God fell upon me, and I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them, gave me the utterance. and I've not been the same since. The power and the presence and the unction and the anointing of God I began to read the scriptures with the clarity it's like right now because I'm aging some I can open the Bible and I can't see the text that's just where I'm at in life but when I put these glasses on I can see the text and when the spirit of God came upon me the things I had read the things I couldn't understand the anointing of God began to reveal because Jesus said when the spirit has come he will guide you into all truth glory to God That's a work of the Holy Spirit that I'm not really getting to today, but I'm just sharing it from my own personal experience. But I want you to know this. Nobody could desire it for me. I had to long for it in my heart and life. But then I can also balance this in contrast of where we're at in this generation is it didn't happen at church either. At church is an awkward place at times. Sometimes it's the right thing. Sometimes it's the wrong thing. Sometimes people can help you. Sometimes they can hinder you. Are you out there? And it kind of leaves us at a place at times where we get a little bit perplexed, saying, not that I'm saying, what meaneth this? Now I'm saying, what do I do with this? Are you out there today? Here's something I want you to know today. The one thing I don't want our church to ever be, I don't want us to ever be a church where we're ag in history and in tradition, but not in our current experiences. I don't want that. I don't want us to be here, what we would call sacred grounds of where men and women who were Pentecostal to the core in 1936 when they took a full gospel church that met in a log building right here in this valley and joined the Assemblies of God in April of 1936. I don't want you to walk and drive into this uh, this parking lot past the sign that says Hebrew First Assembly. And we have a doctrinal belief. And we have number seven on the 16 fundamental truths. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the initial physical evidence. And all of those things. And it's in doctrine only. It's in our heritage only. But it is not in our personal experiences today. Are you out there today? But I'm telling you. It can happen. We can have the shell. But not have the substance if we're not careful. Now. The the subject matter is, are y'all out there, I just feel, I'm I'm taking liberty. I've moved way away from point A, point B, point Z and all that. I've moved away from all of that and I'm just going in my heart. I told Sister Sherry, I I knew she wouldn't have to park over here today. I think I'd be in harmony, but I said, Sherry, I've got a sermon, but I may not have a sermon. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to go and just wherever the Spirit, I'm going to trust in this moment that the Lord is going to speak to me what needs to be said. The notes are good, but what needs to be said today, today. The subject of speaking in other tongues is always the point of controversy. Are y'all out there today? It is. You know, there's a lot of churches today that have entered into some measure of things that we have always associated with Pentecostalism. Did you know that you can go to a lot of what we would call Baptist churches or non-denominational churches that are non-charismatic that sing the same worship songs that we sing? And they do it the same way. They have their hands lifted up. They'll go into the crowd. They'll be like this. They'll be hands lifted up. They'll even sometimes, they'll pray for healing. They'll sometimes lay hands on people, right? Various aspects of what you and I would call Pentecostal worship and methodology that we minister through the power of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes they get right on the edge of speaking in other tongues and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and they say, ugh. I don't know, and they get stuck in that moment, and sometimes they back all the way up from it. And they see the potential for controversy. They see the potential for confusion. They see the, and you know what? The, here's the reality. When you have speaking in tongues, whether it be the gift of tongues or evidential tongues that I won't be able to get to fully here today, if you wanted to know more about that, you should have been in my class this morning, amen? I hope you want to know more about it, and you'll be in class with me next week, or I'll try to bring it out in the pulpit over the next couple of weeks. And so in, in, in that context of, of tongues, as they get right to the edge of it, And they are intimidated by it. They're a little bit fearful of it. And they know that it's a little bit misunderstood. And sometimes there's been excesses of it, right, that's caused people to be a little bit hesitant. And and, and they get right to the edge, and then they just kind of back up. But let me just speak that word to you today because that might be you. That might be you. You could be in a Pentecostal church and still be on the edge but afraid to go over you know in the days of ancient Israel when they stood at the base of Mount Sinai and when the fire of God came down on the mountain, everybody was afraid. Every, the whole host of all the Israelites that had come out of Egypt's bondage being led by the power of God, they had saw his handiwork, but when they got on the, on the basis, uh, right at the base of his divine presence, everybody backed away. And only one man, Moses, had the courage to go into the darkness where God was. So the reality is the presence of God has always caused some to stand back. And the reality is this, that when you read about Paul's writing in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, 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 dealing with some of the overuses or misuses of tongues and interpretation in the Corinthian church, you understand Paul alludes to it, that there can be potential for confusion with the gift. But he concludes the writing of that, that passage there with, he says, desire to prophesy and forbid not to speak with other tongues, even the ministry gift of it. Here's the reality, is that if we're going to be Pentecostal, the potential for confusion for somebody to walk in off the streets that's never been around it and go, what meaneth this? Are you out there? There's no getting away from it. You can't structure it so much. How can we put God in such a box? Did you know the Hebrews put God in a box? He walked, and he walked amongst them in a box for 2,000 years. But when that veil was rent, come on now, he came out of his box, glory to God. And, and so if we put God in such a theological box, denominational box, to the degree that we're afraid that we might, uh, somebody might get offended or somebody might be misunderstanding of what takes place, i tell you what, we won't have any workings of the Holy Spirit. We'll be like these other denominations and, that have just dried up. On the vine. Let me just go ahead and, and address that just real, real quickly for a moment of time. Because I, I know, I know that we, we, we sometimes think, man, I've been a little bit intimidated. And, and you know, here's the thing. You said, man, I was going to invite somebody to church, and I, I, I brought them. And while you were there, you were praying that nobody would give a message in tongues that day. You were there, you were praying, especially if it was somebody on the road, because you've been working with somebody, and they, at work you said, man, I want you to come to our church, and right there, so we, we, we got this handsome pastor, and you just really got to hear him. And, and so, y'all were thinking that, y'all just y'all hadn't formed the words yet right there. And so, and so, but then you had them right here beside you, and you just kind of, in your breath, you're like, Lord, today, let not sister so-and-so. That sounded like a sonic boom right there. Have a moment where my person that I invite to church is like, What meaneth this? Are you out there? Because Pentecostals have been demonized over the years and there's been exchanged factions. And if you will search, listen to this how many of you have ever seen snake handlers out of the Appalachian Mountains? They ain't coming out of the Methodist Church, they ain't coming out of the Church of Christ. They're coming out of brothers walking around with a serpent on one hand while they're mosian and... All right, so there's a lot of extreme sides to things that have left people often confused. And that question is always going to be asked, what meaneth this? What meaneth this? And we just have to have enough confidence in our experience that we can be like the apostle Peter and say, I will tell you what this is. This is that what was supernaturally prophesied days gone by, God would pour his spirit out upon all flesh. And I know there's the potential of confusion, but in the last 115 years, The Pentecostal church has gone from almost obscure to between 500 and 800 million adherents around the world, and so it's not running everybody off. As a matter of fact, some are saying, that's what I've been waiting on. I've been waiting on somebody to have the anointing of God on their life that will tell me that what God did back then, He will still do today if I'll just believe Him for it in Jesus' name. So a lot of it has to do with the pressures that we feel, thoughts in our mind, trying to adapt to certain cultures, and the church looking one way, and the church looking like this, and this church seems to have more success, and this church has this and that. You know what? You just got to decide this is who we're going to be. Every person that might walk through that door may not want to be Pentecostal charismatic spirit-filled full gospel people of the spirit whatever label they want to give us every person that walks but we have to decide amongst ourselves that say i'll take the good with sometimes the bad i'll take the i I know there'll be some times when people have to ask a question i'm okay with people asking questions aren't you you won't learn unless you ask questions right but i do know this i want our church family to be a people I hope and pray that we stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of us. So let me narrow this real quickly to to begin to shift it for today. To shift it for today. Because the subject is greater than one sermon. But but I want to say this to you today. I have to just keep coming to this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit cannot be ministered in a sermon. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit can't fall. Peter preached in Cornelius' house. He didn't even give an invitation. He didn't just say, I, I'm, he just preaching and people started speaking in tongues and prophesying. And I know that that happens often and has happened. But you say, Pastor, the spirit baptism, spirit baptism. What's the doctrinal belief? I'm going to close with this very quickly. The doctrinal belief of spirit baptism in the historic mainline Pentecostal churches. I'm not going to go into today the uh, all the details of all the other churches i actually have a notes up here where there's about seven different distinct beliefs related to the baptism in the spirit we read that passage didn't we for acts chapter number one but you shall be say it one more time you shall be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now so the pentecostal denomination of the assemblies of god and others akin to us believe that when a believer is baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will be evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That speaking in other tongues is the same in essence as the gift of tongues that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 14, 12 and 14. But it differs, it differs in purpose and usage. I can't clarify all of that today. Maybe next week. I did in class to the very best of my ability but it is our belief. You say, Pastor Brown, where is that belief coming from? It's coming from the study of Pentecostals of the book of Acts. So when you take the book of Acts, and I'll just try to make this my finality because I don't want to preach too long today. And so, and I probably already have. I was a little nervous when Jojo prayed. He said, Lord, be with us for the next few hours. I was like, does he know where I'm going? I don't know. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So there are five recorded instances in the book of Acts. Many of you are familiar with this, but it's going to do you good to hear it. Five recorded instances in the book of Acts where the Scripture uses the term the Holy Spirit came upon them, or they were filled with the Holy Ghost. You'll find it first in Acts chapter number 2, which is part of our text from last week. The original group of men and women gathered somewhere in the temple, adjacent to the temple, upper room of the temple, whatever it might be, where the Spirit of God came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues, and that particular one was witnessed by cloven tongues of fire, which there was a strong wind and fire, so it was akin to Mount Sinai. If you want to know some of the details, we won't get into all that. But they spoke with other tongues, plainly says, verse number 4, as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance, correct? Then you can leap forward in time, and this is one that we've got to bear witness with real quickly. Acts chapter number 8 By this time, the church has grown. There's been initial growth of the church and a young man by the name of of Philip who was chosen to be an evan- or, excuse me, a deacon and is now an evangelist, goes to a region of Israel in those days called Samaria. And Samaria was a place of biracial, where the Jews that had, had intermarried uh, with, uh, with, with Gentiles were kind of pushed out of the culture, and they formed their little cities of Samaria. They were part Jews, so they were biracial, they were part Gentile, and they were kind of shunned. But Philip takes the gospel to them. And when he takes the gospel to them, he preaches Christ. And they hear Christ and there are miracles. And the Bible says they believe and they're water baptized and there's great joy in the city. Right? That's a powerful work. But the Bible says that when Jerusalem heard about the, this, that Samaria, they sent Peter and John, two of the original 12 apostles, to Samaria To pray for those that had believed and were water baptized because here's what the Bible says. The spirit had not fallen upon any of them. And so Peter and John pray and lay hands on them, the disciples, those that believed. The Bible doesn't say that they spoke with tongues. But it says that people saw. They saw there was some type of visible expression, very possibly audible expression, that they concluded that it was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 9 is the story and the account of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Everybody's familiar with that one, correct? It's powerful in and of itself. I won't go into it. Am I wearing y'all away? Let me check the time. I don't want to go. I'm I'm not doing too bad uh, here today. Acts chapter number 9, y'all know the story about Saul. Some of you do, how that he was a religious zealot, a Pharisee, and he fought against the, the, this community of believers called Christians. They hadn't even been called Christians yet. They were called the Way or the Nazarenes. And, and in his radical uh, defense of Judaism, he's got letters from the chief priests in Jerusalem to go to a city, an adjacent city of Damascus, and there uh, to gather up any that are professing faith in Christ under the context of Judaism and bring them to prison. And along the way, a, a, a great light appears to him, knocks him off the horse that he's riding. And there the Lord Jesus Christ appears to him in all of his glory. Saul is blinded as a result of it. And he asks the question, he said, who art thou, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom thou uh, uh, thou kickest or prick, uh, kickest against the pricks, the scripture says, whom thou persecutest. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He says, arise and go into Damascus and there wait. And during that time period, the scripture says that the Lord appears to a disciple, a spirit-filled disciple by the name of Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I want you to go to Damascus, to the city, to a street called Sint. There's a house there and there's a brother named Saul. Ananias says, I've heard about that brother he's a religious zealot he is uh he's been practicing jihad against your children paul said no or uh, jesus said no he's a chosen vessel of mine i want you to go and i want you to pray for him that he'll receive his sight but when ananias gets into the room and he speaks to saul who is still blinded he says these words brother saul so he's born again are y'all out there He's born again, born of the Spirit. He says, the Lord Jesus that appeared to thee in the way has sent me that thou might receive thy sight and be filled with the Spirit of God. So if you don't believe in the twofold subsequent experience of salvation and baptism, why didn't Ananias say, the Lord Jesus who appeared to thee in the way has sent me to pray with you the prayer of faith of repentance so that you could be born again? He didn't send him to pray that because Paul was born again on the Damascus road when the bright light shone, and he knew that Christ was the resurrected Lord. And the Spirit breathed into his heart and gave him new life. But Ananias traveled to the city and to the gate and and to the street and to the house to lay hands on him that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, there's no record that he spoke with tongues. But if you know anything about Paul, Paul said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And Paul had all kinds of spiritual gifts in his life. So for the sake of time, I'll just move on down just real quickly. So that's Acts 8 and 9. Acts chapter number 10 has been mentioned previously. Peter's preaching at Cornelius' house, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, and the Holy Spirit falls on all those that are gathered in the audience that day. And Peter heard them speak with other tongues and prophesy. And he later in the 11th chapter said, When I saw it, I remembered, what did he remember? Acts 1, 4, and 5. He said, I remembered what the Lord Jesus said to us, that you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And lastly, Acts chapter number 19 has already been mentioned. At Ephesus, Paul found the 12. Paul laid hands on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So so that's where we're at. Let's take a giant step back before we conclude here today. So from those five recorded instances, those five recorded instances, we can learn a few things. First of all, we see that there was some type, some type of manifestation that was noted by the writer and by those that observed what took place. There was some type of physical response. Now, you can be saved and have no immediate physical response on the outside, right? Right? You can be saved at the altar, and the only thing that's changed, taken place is His Spirit's join with your heart. But of those five recorded instances, each one of them had some type of physical manifestation. Three times tongues and prophecy are mentioned verbatim, word that they're there, prophecy and tongues. Two times Pentecostal doctrine says it's inferred, it's inferred that it took place. From those recorded instances, the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit has emerged in our generation, and we believe in it. We believe in it. We don't believe it's an error. We don't believe that we're harming you, hurting you by teaching you these things. Can I tell you a little bit about what Jesus said? He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good things to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? Are you out there today? So back to those five, let's notice a couple observations. It's hot in here now. But I'm going to be wrapping up my preaching part, and then we're going to move into the prayer part here in just a moment of time. And I'm going to be honest with you about that here in just a second. Of those five instances, we see some differences, and that should help us today. We see some, the Spirit just fell. There was no laying hands. There was no class. Some, it fell before water baptism. Others, it fell after water baptism, the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Are you all out there today? Some was aided by another brother coming and laying hands on them. Others, there was no... I'm just being honest. Can I go to my experience real quickly? What happened to me in that summer had commenced a couple of, a few weeks earlier when I went to a brother's house who said he wanted to pray with me, and I was hungry for the things of God. That night, he still would tell the story today I spoke in tongues. I probably repeated what I heard because the, the moment there was just something not there. My faith did not take hold of the true possession. You can repeat what others say and it not be a true baptism in the Holy Spirit. Are you out there today? But everything changed in that moment. And so I had a brother laying hands on me, and I was a little bit confused. I went home. I was on the edge, and I could have easily backed away and never moved into the spirit-filled movement. As a matter of fact, I didn't understand the difference between evidential tongues and the gift of tongues. And when you read in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's asking a question that he's already given the answer. It's obvious. He says this, do all speak in tongues? The obvious answer is no, the gift of tongues. But when I was reading that, when I was confused in my heart, I said, thank God. Thank God, because I was, the experience was not empowering. It was a little bit confusing. But everything changed when no one was there to lay hands on me. And I wasn't in the church. I wasn't in anybody else's house. And I was all alone. The point is, Pastor, what's the point? If we try to put it in such a box that it's got to look exactly like this or it be exactly here. Are you all out there today? Right, then we're going to do more damage than good. We're going to have more people leaving like I did that night from that brother's house and saying, I'm not sure I want this. Come on, somebody. And so from there, from that five recorded instances we've extracted that sometimes there's hands laid on, sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's through teaching. Sometimes it's at church. Sometimes it's in a vehicle. Sometimes there, if we gave time for people to testify to this church, there would be probably 50% of those that have received the baptism that happened in church. The rest of other people's experience would say this. It commenced at church. But it happened when I was alone. We were having a, a, a little bit of season of revival at Shirley in those days, years ago. When I was kind of teaching upon this over a period of time. And we had a little lady that came down and we prayed for her. And, uh, and she, she didn't receive, but she was hungry for God. And, uh, uh, and I remember about a few weeks later, and I know I've told this before, uh, but, but a few weeks later, she couldn't wait. When she, she called me or she came to church, she just wanted me to know that she said, I, she said, I woke up last night. In the middle of my dream, I woke up and I was speaking in other tongues. So I could have walked away from the moment and she could have walked away from the moment where we prayed for her dejected. Because we didn't see what we hoped to see and we didn't hear what we hoped to hear. So I've learned from that time till this that you have to leave all things to God. You have to leave. Here's my responsibility to you. Here's the, th- here's the thing as I'm closing today. Number one, I can't desire it for you. You've got to desire it yourself. I-, I-, I can hope, I can pray. I can't, that desire has to be yours. Right, you you have to long for. You have to push through the uncertainty. You have to push through the cloudiness. You have to push through. Are you out there today? You just have to do it. You have if you desire it. You just you just have to do it. My responsibility is to teach you. Right, not to teach you how. Follow me. Shaitakaya Mosiah seven times fast, and you'll get it. I had this one old Church of God minister. Uh, that told this story. He said there was this brother that was just praying for the, the baptism in the Spirit and he could never get his breakthrough. And he said, in, and one day he was walking through, you know how the pews back in those days used to sit so close together? Y'all remember that? It's the way it was here. You know, if somebody would pass in front of you, you had to get up to empty the row so they could get back to where they got out and they had to go to the bathroom and stuff. And he said the brother was walking through the there trying to get through and he hit his shin on the wood, and he said, oh, my knee my shin, my shin of my knee, and the pastor said, brother, you got it, you got it. <laughs> so we don't want that either. Are you all out there today? It's a personal experience. It's a personal, that's funny, isn't it? It's a church of God minister. I didn't make that up, I just repeated it but I have told it many times. Every now and then, Sherry and I will walk through and bump our knee and we'll say, oh, my knee and my shin, my shin and my knee. I'll say, you got it, girl. <laughs> my job is to take the scriptures like I'll probably, next week I'll, I'll be more explicit to talk about speaking other tongues because that's the point of controversy. That's the thing that people go, I don't understand. How can I, my mind, is there a logic behind it? All these things. All I can do is my best to teach you. I can't agitate your hunger for God, right? That's that's your journey. That's your journey. So I can teach you. That's number two. That's what I can do. And the third thing I can do is I can create a culture where we can say we're unashamed to be Pentecostal. And if we're Pentecostal, somebody's going to be speaking in other tongues, and it doesn't need interpretation because it's not a message in tongues. And I'm not... Teaching about that right now. But when that happens, often you have people come to the altar, and in the altar moment right there, in the altar moment like that, there's a number of people speaking other tongues simultaneously, right? Sometimes you'll even come to a Pentecostal church, and he'll just say, If you can pray in the Spirit, I want everybody to begin to pray in the Spirit right now. And there'll be people that'll just begin praying in the spirit like that. So we differentiate between praying in the spirit and speaking or giving a gift of tongues. But I can't clarify all those things. All I can tell you is my job as the pastor of this assembly with the other pastors and leaders of this fellowship is to create an opportunity. Right? And don't be ashamed of it. And know that the question may come, what meaneth this? Why this? How come that? How come is that? And then do our very best to answer it. And sometimes... Sometimes I've learned with God. Sometimes this is how I relate to God. I know that sometimes we're all right here with God, but sometimes I'm like this with God. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how he could turn water into wine. I don't know how the storm and, this, and the wind would obey his voice. I, I, I don't know how that suddenly people could communicate in languages that they had never learned since childhood. Are you out there today? All I know is the Bible says it happened, and I believe it in Jesus' name, right? And so, so we create a climate. And fourthly, the fourth thing that I can do is myself and even others among us today, if it's done right in in that moment of time, we can lay hands on you to pray for you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Here's where I ask myself a question as I close, and Daryl, if you don't mind, joining me here today. Here's where I ask my own self a couple questions. I wrote it this way. Concerning the laying on of hands, what should my response to you receiving or responding be? So let's just take this per the experiences that I have been involved in in Pentecostalism. Should I, if someone comes to be prayed for and says, Pastor Brown, pray with me. Because I see it in the word. Ananias went to Saul. Peter and John went to Samaria. Paul went to Ephesus. Pastor Brown, come to me. That's, that's continuing, isn't it? It's an apostolic tradition. And I lay hands on you and pray for you. Should I? And, and, and you don't have an immediate response. Should I stay with you and pray till... Till two things, either you receive or fatigue. Because when people hit that fatigue moment, they often back away. Or do I lay hands on you in faith and commit this to you and the Father? I have a tendency to lean that direction. That's just me personally. I have a tendency to believe that my responsibility is to preach the Word of God, to teach it, to encourage you in faith, lay hands on those that God gives opportunity that have a desire and to know that I can't force any moment upon anybody. And there's still at the, for what, here's, here's how I relate to it. Here it is. I know it's supposed to be here, but here, sometimes there's the sovereignty of God. There are some that you say, Pastor, well, why why did this one get baptized here when they were eight years old and this one's 42 and they've been praying for it for 36 years and they haven't been able to receive it? I don't know. I can't answer that. I can throw out speculation. I can say this or that. My job is just to just simply create the environment, teach the word. Hopefully, faith stirs in your heart, right? And be probably more conscious of creating opportunities like this on a more regular basis, right? Because that is missing in our church, just to be honest. We have to send our kids off to camp for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't necessarily know that's the way it should be. Are y'all out there today? So there's where I'm at. Today I hope by, how many of you know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? Let me tell you what you cannot have. You can't have in this moment passive faith. Passive faith comes to this subject matter and says, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, he'll baptize me in the Holy Spirit. That's passive faith. It's not what you need. You've got to have possessive faith. You've got to say, Father, it is the will of God. I long for you, O God, to come over me, fill me, whatever verbiage I need to say to convey God. I know that the Apostle Paul would later write, if it's the same experience or not, we can debate that doctrine, but in, in, in uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That should stir our hearts and minds here today, amen? So as I close the sermon off here today, I thought to myself, said, so what can be gained here today, apart from those, the minority, the the small minority that might come to desire to receive of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What can be gained from the rest? Well, number one, those that have been previously baptized, I got to encourage you, you need to stir up the gift of God. You need to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Paul told Timothy, neglect not the gift, whether it's talking about that, the gift of the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift, I might talk about next week. But we got to stir it up. For some, here's what I hope happens. For some, your questions and your fears begin to be answered. And you might be, maybe, maybe you're not on the edge just yet. Maybe you don't quite go over just yet, but I brought you a step further. Maybe that stronghold starts to get pulled down in your mind. That thought that was planned in you, this is not of God, this is of the devil. This is all just gibberish. That's not real. That when you hear somebody, there's not a known language. That's not Latin, which was mentioned this morning, or Japanese, or Javanese, or English, or anything. That's just gibberish. Well, my counter to that is the Bible says there are so so many different kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. And so when you allow me to preach the sermon entitled The Logic of Speaking Other Tongues," what's a word? A word is nothing more but the expression of your heart. My wife used to understand the cry of our infant children. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world? Oh, he's just got a little stomachache. Or maybe he's constipated. Or no, I think he's got a fever. Just based upon the tone of the cry of the child. And you're telling me that the God of all goodness and creation can't put his spirit in your heart. That he knows when you just sometimes you just get one word out. And, and, and he knows it and receives it as praise and as prayer. Are you hearing me today? And so I, I think there is a logical side to it if you're just being honest. Church family, we need the presence and the power of God. What are the things that we need to do and what are we going to do here today? The first thing I want to do in closing to lead you to the time and the altar is I am going to pray with anybody today. And I want to ask for the gift of faith. But, you know, I do believe in repentance, church family, number one. I I just believe that I was reading about baptism in the early church. When I'm talking about the early church, not the book of Acts, but the second century church. When they came to water baptism, they they, they encouraged people to fast two days prior to being water baptized for consecration, for consecration. I want to encourage you. If there's sin in your heart and life and you're longing for more of God, I'm telling you, we need to be repentant before God. We need to say, God of heaven, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Wash me clean so that you can fill me under overflowing. Amen? Right? Sometimes that's a necessary step in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For others, and all of us here today, For some of you that's previously received, you need to be confident that it's okay to pray in the Spirit in the the Lord's house, and to pray, to pray. Paul said that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. The Amplified Bible says he speaks hidden things that have not been previously disclosed. So you're speaking forth the wonderful works of God. Are you hearing me today? So you need to feel some liberty to do that today, whether that be at your seat or at the altar. Come on, somebody. Amen. Right? And thirdly, the last thing, again, that from for what I believe is, is that I have to just have the courage and the faith amongst others to just lay hands on people and know that everybody's experience is different. Everybody reacts differently. Some are very emotional, and they respond sometimes loudly, and sometimes others are not very emotional, and they respond quietly. And the the key is, is you can't compare the other to contrast the two and then make one feel elevated and one feel belittled. If you're full of a human emotion, you don't have to shy away from that. I heard the Bible say that with a loud voice. Come on, somebody. Right? But I also remember one of the most powerful prayers in all the Word of God is when Hannah prayed a prayer for a barren womb and she couldn't even articulate words. All she could do was move her mouth. So, how many of you know God sees and hears? God sees and hears. And we have to pray, God, help us, help us to create greater move, greater opportunity for the work of the Holy Spirit among us. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed among us today for just a moment of time. God, give us the gift of faith here today. I want to ask you to pray with me right now in your own way before the Lord. It's right at the noon hour. I, I, I can't dictate your schedule. I don't know what your day looks like. I'm not trying to. I know that this is not the end of all days today. I mean, perhaps it could be. Christ could return, but I'm not speaking of that. This is a day along the journey. It's a day along the journey. But when Paul was riding along the Damascus road, it was a day along the journey. When the when the group of uh, men and women went to the upper room or wherever in the temple, they'd been doing that every day for 10 days. It was just a day along the journey. But then suddenly it became the day. It became, suddenly it just became a very critical moment in their heart and life. And that's the way it can be for you and some of you here today. I've done everything in my power, whatever teaching ability that I may have, good, bad, right or wrong, I cannot say. I've done everything in my power to validate for you a doctrine and an experience. Both. I, I started my prayer off by saying to you that I can I, I, I can preach from doctrine, but I can also preach from experience, and I've brought a little bit of both, the majority of which has been doctrine. But now I'm turning this moment, right here, right now, to a moment where you have the opportunity in your heart to be stirred, to be stirred to receive of the gift of God, to pray. I'm afraid that we've almost lost our faith related to the baptism in a Sunday morning service. I'm afraid we have so drifted to where we are, where we've become so unaccustomed to multiple people speaking in other tongues at the same time in a service environment or in the altar area that, that we would be so uncomfortable with it ourselves that we've almost lost it. And, and, and I want to repent of that right now in front of you in Jesus' name. If I have contributed to that, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, O oh God. And if any among us, if we have contributed to this, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, however you choose. It was 9 a.m. in the morning in Acts chapter 2, 9 a.m. They hadn't even had their coffee. It had, wasn't even brunch yet. And yet God was already pouring His Spirit out upon hungry people who are longing for the presence of God. I don't know where you're at in your journey. I can't dictate that for you today. I don't know what the end of this service fully, when the last person walks out, and typically I'm the one that locks the door and turns the alarm off or on. Not not all the time, but many days. In this time between now and then, I don't know what I'll have experienced. I don't know what you will have experienced. I just know I feel God stir in my heart to bring forth the truths that have radically altered the lives of many of us in this room. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can I say that, church family? We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Can we pray prayers of repentance right now? Father, would you cleanse us? Would you cleanse us, Lord God? Would you cleanse us today? Would you cleanse us, Lord, in the name of Jesus? Would you cleanse us? Father, would your spirit, God, would your spirit, Father, in Jesus' name, wash us clean? I remember the word says that we would be washed by the washing of the word of God. Washed by the washing of the word of God. Washed by the washing of the word of God. In Jesus' name. And Father, I do pray for the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the gift of faith, God, the, fa- the gifts that he gives, the gift of faith, I believe, to be critical, to minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to minister the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray today that it would be present among us, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus today. In the name of the Lord Jesus, God, we pray today, God, by your Spirit. God, I humble myself before you today. I humble myself amongst the church family. It's been a very sacred, even solemn moment in this house today. You're new. You're new here today. You're new. I've been transparent in front of you about the beliefs of this church. We believe that Jesus, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, promised to send the Spirit upon all those who will believe. We believe. We believe in Christ. We believe in his blood. We believe in his sacrifice. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And upon his ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit. And he's still sending the Spirit today. Come on, somebody. Amen. He's still spending, sending Excuse me, the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, would you all stand up? Here's how I'm going to be led. I'm going to hope and pray. You're here today. You're out there in one or two camps here today about prayer at the altar. Number one, you're either baptized in the Holy Spirit previously and maybe just that gift is not as stirred in your heart and life as what you know that it once was or it could be and I'm going to encourage you in just a moment, if that's you, I'll come by and pray with you. I'm gonna, what my intent is here today is to just anoint with oil. And lay hands on people today to just pray. I, I don't know how many it'd be. it be. Might be 15, might be 50, might be three. I don't know. Number two, there could be those among us that say, Pastor, would you pray with me today in faith? I'll join my faith that the Spirit of God will come upon my life and I'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think it should be one without the other. I think it should be both. I think it should be both. But I want to encourage you today. My life has been aided by. Men, women that have come and prayed for me, and ministered to me in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, if that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity. It's right at the noon hour. I know life life is in front of you, changes in front of you, all that activity, dinner, lunch, all those things. All I can tell you is, if if we if we really want God to move, we got to let Him move. Are you out there? So I'll be right here. I'll tell you what. I'll be right here. I'm already come down from the platform. I just want to encourage, even if it became everybody that just said, Pastor, maybe we don't even differentiate today. Maybe we just all just come and say, God, give me a fresh anointing. That's all right. I'll start there. we got to start somewhere, don't we? We need to start somewhere. This this area in the altar needs to have greater consecration. Greater work of the Spirit of God. So, if that's you in any capacity, any capacity, wherever you find yourself in this journey, I want to encourage you to come and just just stand among us and just be a worshiper. Just be a worshiper. Let us worship. Let us pray with you today. Let us just anoint with oil. You know your journey. You know where you're at. In Jesus' name, and don't be ashamed of the journey. Don't be ashamed. We're all on this journey together. God, we're just wanting the anointing of God. We're wanting the power. Come on, somebody. We're wanting the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Father, we need it. We need the anointing of God in our heart and life. And, Father, when I lay hands on people today, it's their journey, God. It's their journey. I'm just going to anoint with oil today, God. Father, because I see the power of the Spirit. Father, when they laid hands on men and women, the Spirit came upon them, Oh God. Father, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ, the unction of the Holy Spirit, God, in Jesus' name, oh God. In Jesus' name, Father, stir up that gift of God. Isn't that right, Brother Jerry? Stir it up. God, we want it stirred up. We don't want just the leftover Father God leftover reservoir of bygone generations God we've got to have a steady stream of supernatural unctions and workings of the Holy Spirit isn't that right Caleb? Caleb? I know the anointing of God is poured upon your head and the man of God poured oil till it dripped on the platform but that oil is not the oil the oil is the oil of the spirit of the living God is divine unction and it's anointing oh God in Jesus Jesus Jesus' mighty name. And we need it, each one of us here today, God. So I stir up whether these have been baptized in the Spirit previously, God. There is an anointing. God, I lay hands on my brothers and sisters, God. If there's any value and a pastor laying hands on anybody, then I lay hands on my brothers and sisters today. And I pray, God, apostolic faith. Give us the gift of faith, God, for divine utterance. Out of your belly, let there be a river of living water, Adam, in the name of Jesus. Loose his tongue, O oh God, and God, give him the infilling that he's long desired. In Jesus' name, God, stir it up on the inside of him today, God. I stir it up, God, whatever measure of faith, God, that we have today. Lord, that's what we want. We want to be stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brother Larry, Sister Earlene, God has led y'all to this moment in your life. Your journey, you're coming to the edge, and you're deciding amongst yourself that you're not going to come to the edge and shy away. You're not that kind of people. You're coming to the edge and saying, wait just a minute. This has been in the Word of God all along. This has been in the church all along. I just wasn't wasn't exposed. So, God, I lay my hands on my brother today. I lay my hands on my sister, God, in their journey, God, in the name of Jesus. Give them the very desire of their heart, Father, as you fill them unto overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. We say things like this. We say it out loud. We say, Father, fill me to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Father, fill me with the Spirit. Those are words that we say. We pray it in our known languages and we leave it to God and we trust the Lord and we let the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God that's on the inside of us, bubble forth in Jesus' name. God, we stir up the gift of God. We stir up the gift of God. We stir up the gift of God. We long for the presence of God. Father, I lay hands on my brothers and sisters. church God needs a new beginning and this is that new beginning this is not the end father this is not God everything's not going to be written from this day but God we're going to look back to this day and said at this moment God began to re-agitate some things among us God began to do a dynamic work in our spirit. And, Janie, this is a work of the Spirit of God and God's anointing and His calling. And, yes, my sister, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God can come out of you. And there's an unction inside of you. I can feel it already. And in Jesus' name, even now, you can speak forth that word that's in your heart, and you can speak it out. And you need to do so unashamedly. It's bubbling up in your spirit right now. Right now, in Jesus' name. And the same for Jeff, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Father, Spirit of the living God. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I lay my hands on my brother who is anointed, who's called, Father God, and he has the indwelling spirit and the gifts of the spirit are working, but he longs for the baptism. He's like I was many years ago. He wanted, he's seen it in the word, and you will not be sent home empty-handed. My God, I lay hands on Jeff today. I was praying for Jeff, thinking about this moment, God, where the spirit of the Lord God Father God, in his heart and in his mind, his spirit, God, fill his spirit unto overflowing, and you speak out the utterance that's in your heart as God gives it to you. As God gives it, God, we...